Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We have Evan Drellick with us of The Athletic, um, who was kind enough to give up a little bit of his time so close to the holiday to chat with us about the lockout and some other things around baseball. You can follow Evan on Twitter at Evan Drellick. It's E-V-A-N-D-R-E-L-L-I-C-H. And you can find all his writing at The Athletic which you should really already have a subscription to by now. And if you don't, I believe they're running a holiday special, so you should take care of that. Hey, Evan, thanks so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I understand that you have your own podcast. Can you tell our listeners about that so they can go out and find it if they're interested? Yeah, so we just did, I think, seven episodes of it. Honestly, it's not clear if we're going to continue it uh, in 2022, little in limbo right now, but even the seven episodes that we did, I think would be helpful for anybody trying to understand the lockout and some of the issues involved uh, in labor and baseball. The most recent episode was on the minor leagues and talking to the director of the organization advocates for minor leaguers about all the changes they're trying to make in the minor leagues. Uh, and it's available on Spotify and uh, Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts Um it's just part of the main athletic baseball show feed. So if you just put in athletic baseball show, you'll see a bunch of episodes that uh, I led and maybe you'll like them. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it is a really um, meaty issue. So for people who are trying to understand it, I think um, having a few good resources to go to, to get into the minutia of it is definitely a good thing. And I saw in your Twitter that you also are writing a book and you were an Astros beat writer. Are you writing a book about the, the the scandal there? When is that expected to come out? Yeah, so you know Ken Rosenthal and I were the ones who who broke the science ceiling story, and I had covered the Astros for a few years. Um, so my book, which is called "Winning Fixes Everything," is due out sometime in the summer. Uh, we're trying to get the edits done now, so that's that's been taking up a good amount of my time. But it's uh, if you want to understand everything that happened in Houston and the management culture of the Astros and how did we end up in a spot where you have this you know, massive cheating scandal, what was going on behind the scenes? Um, I, I don't think anyone's told the story in nearly the same way. And, uh, you know, I, I had the on the ground reporting for a long time to kind of sift through and go back through and, um, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited to get it done and get it into people's hands because it's been a very laborious project. Let me tell you, <laughs> writing a book always is. I'm looking forward to the book a lot. Um, that, that scandal obviously was, um, 
huge all around baseball. I, I spent a lot of time whining about how it overshadowed the Nats uh, victory lap when they won the world series, but yeah. <laughs> we're is, a nationals podcast. So is, is there anywhere we can pre-order that? Yeah, is, it's available. I think, you know, anywhere you'd want to pre-order it. Um, certainly okay. Amazon. I would, I would, uh, try to steer people toward independent bookstores like the right, Silver right. Unicorn Bookstore in, in Massachusetts run by a former baseball writer, Paul Swyden. But oh, yes, uh, you can, uh, it, winning fixes everything. Google it. You'll be able to order it. I think most anywhere. That's fantastic. Well, Monty is a big also, reader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Appreciate so, it. I, yeah. I'm excited about that. Cause uh, I mean, I can't get enough of that. And you know, baseball, I feel like isn't baseball without some sort of scandal. So <laughs> yeah it's got to be entertaining right their scandal is entertaining for sure yeah <laughs> all right well speaking of baseball a little more writ large there's very little happening right now so let's talk about the obvious which is of course the lockout um what are you hearing is the latest i know from um your twitter that you know they've, they've been meeting it seems like maybe once a week or so is there anything new that you're hearing from any sources or anything that's not already been kind of widely reported no, not really. So this week and last week, they did start meeting again for the first time since the lockout started. So they had those meetings uh, outside of Dallas, right as November ended into December, where, you know, they were kind of the last ditch bargaining efforts. And then they had the lockout start and they had basically a two week lull and they've just started meeting again, but they're meeting on what you would call non-core topics. So they're not discussing right now, you know, time to free agency or time to arbitration or uh, revenue sharing that the meaty stuff is going to wait until sometime in January. And I don't at this point know, I don't think they at this point know the two sides and know when exactly in January, those conversations will begin again. It's a little bit of a staring contest as to who will make the next core economics proposal. The players in Texas at those meetings they had going into December they felt like the owners uh, should make the next proposal. The owner said, we did make a proposal. And the player said, no, you made a proposal to make a proposal. So when exactly this starts to really heat up again is unclear, but you know, it's got to be sometime in January because early February, people are going to be preparing to leave for spring training. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's what I'm worried about is what are the chances that this impacts next season? And, and causes a shortened season because I'm not ready for another shortened season like we had because of the pandemic the other year. I need I need my 162 games. Yeah, yeah, that, no, that's, that's, that's a lot of games. They, they it's hard to handicap right now. You got to kind of reverse engineer the dates that would matter. You know, what's what's the shortest amount of time you would want to have or could hold spring training uh, in in, the, in 2020. I keep meaning to look this up again. It was like three or four weeks you know, th- th- when they did that restart summer camp right before they played the 60 game season. So, you know, February 1st could arrive and you don't have a deal and you could have a shortened spring training. You could still end up getting in the whole season on time. Nobody wants to have a shortened spring training. It's not good for physical conditioning of players. It's not good. Even from a revenue standpoint, the owners make money, some money off of uh, spring training games. But as far as, you know, will this actually impact the regular season? It, it's just too early to tell. It's certainly in the realm of possibility. There's, there's no reason you could sit here today and go, no, they definitely won't miss games. 
but the first step is okay will they miss any of spring training and then if they start to miss some of spring training then you start to wonder well is this going to drag on long enough yeah then then you start to wonder if they're going to let it affect the regular season when you mentioned that they're not really talking about economic issues at this point what non-economic issues do you do you suppose they're discussing are we talking about on the field changes like the universal dh or pitch clocks or the the ghost runner are these the kind of things that are on the field changes what they might be talking about now since it seems like they both sides have decided they're not ready to talk money so there's I believe over 30 subjects of bargaining, you know, so 30 kind of buckets that they have to get through more than 30 to get to an agreement, right? It's not all just uh, the time to free agency. You know, one thing, I, I don't know specifically what they're, they've talked about this week and last week. Uh, it could be the joint drug agreement. It could be uh, the domestic violence policy, you know, things, things outside of the core economics that, um, are collectively bargained. You're pointing to the those on-field matters. Those are not being discussed at this point, and it's actually unclear whether they'll end up being a part of bargaining. And the reason for that is the it, it's kind of leverage for the players to say, "Well, you want to make all these changes to the game, whatever MLB actually wants to do, such as if if they want to put in something for the the pitch clock or." whatever the other on-field thing is you, you might imagine, the owners don't want to give up those things in exchange for something with uh, a clearer economic value, right? They, they look at those as non-economic issues and you know the, the, the owners don't want to trade something worth a dollar amount for something that's not uh, worth a dollar amount uh, or, 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 right, or vice versa. So um, everybody I think was expecting that they, there would be all these on-field conversations and bargaining, but right now it's, it's not clear. Um, it, it, the, the owners seem to not want to have those conversations as part of bargaining. The players do. And it's all, it all ties back to money. It's like 95% of the yeah. answers. I you probably get. end up with everything being an economic issue. If you drill down on it far enough. Right. Right. Yeah, and it's, I was wondering how they would really be discussing those kinds of issues without discussing money, because of course you would think that, if one side considers those leverage, they're going to try to use it to get the economic concessions they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if, if you're the players and the owners want a pitch clock and players are always, uh, I think more reticent to change than the officials off the field and, and the people in baseball's, we can call it an ivory tower, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the owners, um, the, the players will say, give us something uh, for it. If you want to do this. Okay. Well then make a concession. We want, and that concession will, you know, almost invariably be something economic and the owners don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. With, the, with them so far apart, um, it's, it sounds like there's not a whole lot that's too clear now. But if you had to guess what you would consider the top five issues on which they're furthest apart, I mean, obviously, besides money, what would those five issues you think be? Well, it all ties back to money, but, you know, for example, when the lockout started the next day, there was press conferences by Rob Manfred, the commissioner and Tony Clark and Bruce Meyer, who are the top two union officials. And you know, the, the players want all sorts of changes. Right? It, 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 what's driving these talks is player unhappiness. And it's been well-established for years that they would want these changes and, you know, 
they want revenue sharing to change, you know, the system by which the owners share money amongst themselves. They think that basically it's gotten too cushy where owners don't have to compete anymore because there's so much money moving between them that it doesn't really matter if they're winning, they're, they're going to make money anyway. So the players want to change that system. They want to change how much time it takes to get to arbitration. They propose changing how much time it takes to get to free agency. Uh, draft order uh, is a big one. You know, on, on some of these, there's been kind of at the highest level, if you're just looking top down, you can see that there's a little bit of movement. So on draft order, what the players are proposing is not what the owners are proposing, but they're both agreeing that, okay, there can be a change here, at least at this point. There, there, there seems to be some flexibility there. Um, that's not the case in revenue sharing. It's not the case in time to free agency. It's not the case in uh, time to arbitration. So really the question is going to end up being what issues do the players and the owners, what, what issues do both sides end up planting their flag on and say, this cannot happen. Um, we're not going to agree to a deal unless this does or does not happen. Right. And it's unclear at this point, what those are going to be, you know, do the players back off of say their requests to have some guys, if they're of a certain age, get to free agency after five years, right now it's six years. You doesn't matter what age you are. It's always six years. Do the players give up on that? Uh, do they stick their flag in the years to arbitration issue and say, look, we're not doing a deal unless you in this way, help us get younger players paid more. Um, so that's kind of the mystery to unfold before our eyes in January. And we'll see if it goes into February and beyond. Yeah. It just sounds like there's so many different issues out there and, and different things to come together on and, and that the players and owners are so far apart. It just seems really hard to imagine they, they, they'll be able to just turn it on and get it taken care of before next season. Yeah. I, you know, I was coming out of Dallas. I felt more pessimistic than I had. I, I do think you have to kind of remember that, uh, well, the lockout had just begun. There are these natural pressure points. You know, part of the, problem or or you know an observation you can make about an off-season lockout is there's nothing really on the line yet it, 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 when things are on the line is, is when money's flowing when there are spring training games and when there's regular season games and so there's this natural pressure point that's going to come with the calendar and with the clock and you know so right now you look at it and go yeah they're they're really far apart conceptually and they are but there's reason to believe that, that as the calendar moves, you know, uh, unless they want to miss games, one or both sides are going to have to move. Both sides are going to have to move in some way, you know, just it's a question of how much and on what issues. Yeah. It's very interesting to me to see how um, antagonistic it has been, particularly at least from my perspective on the part of the owners, this like scrubbing the players from the MLB website. And it, it seems like at a time where you would expect each side to try to be somewhat conciliatory toward the other in order to say, Hey, we're the, we're the good guys here. We're trying to come to an agreement and the other guys are, you know, being intractable. It, that was just, it seemed oddly aggressive to me from on the part of the owners. What were your impressions of that? And, and what do you think? How do you think it affected the negotiations, if at all? Well, 
yeah, there, there's a good amount to unpack there. You know, the the league did scrub its websites. Uh, was trying to say that this was on the advice of legal counsel. I was part of the story with two other writers at the athletic trying to figure out, well, okay, what is that legal argument here? <laughs> and, you know, there was some, there was skepticism that really, that, that whether they really had to do this um, and was it in some way an aggravation tactic. And you saw the players, some players on Twitter change their, you know, headshot avatar to that blank, um, headshot you know like kind of the the no name thing that now exists on mlb.com you know the counter point is well would mlb go to this length and kind of torpedo its own content arms if if it really didn't feel legally it was necessary well you know you you be the judge on your own um but as far as the contentiousness overall it's a little it's a little nuanced and and boy do i love nuance it (laughs) Where good stories are found is in the yeah business. right yeah. long stories. <laughs> it, 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 it's it would be odd if these two sides were in harmony. You know uh, the 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 system of labor relations in the United States. It, it's not meant to be um, perpetual. You know, uh, getting along. It's you have two self interested parties, management and the workers, and they're representing what they want you know, separately. And so you, you would expect a clash, right? It, it's, it's, it's the way it works, not just in baseball, but outside of baseball. Now within that, if you kind of accept the baseline, um, you can look at it at times, you look at what happened in 2020 when they were really at each other's throats publicly with letters flying back and forth and go, well, this isn't productive. And, you know, maybe, maybe the relationship is so rancorous that um, it is hindering progress. But that, that's, that's a tricky spot to kind of point to and adjudicate. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, th- I think there's always a sentiment of, well, why can't they just get along? They're not supposed to always get along. And, 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 w- and if you kind of move from that place, it, it does, I think, help reframe the thinking a little bit where, um, you know, you can still make the argument, well, you know, nobody cares about the fans. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they are. It, it would be strange if they were just always in agreement, you know, then, then they wouldn't really be fighting for their own constituencies. Yeah. That's an excellent point. And although, as you pointed out, you know, this is all well and good while there's no games being played, but there's no money if there's no games being played. So at some point it's in everyone's interest to get this, get this show rolling. I get, I agree with what Monty said a while ago, though. It's hard from an outside perspective right now to see, like you said, there's 30 plus issues that they seem pretty far apart on to, uh, to see them getting. Yeah, and not, not all it. the 30 are, you know, like it, it, not all the 30 are going to be the, the sticking point, right? That's kind of the, the, the point of the talks you're having now this week and last week. Maybe the easier what, stuff. Yeah, right. It, it, it doesn't mean they're, you know, people would, would bristle if you said they're unimportant, but they're not. These aren't the, the real contentious issues. I'm sure there are things that they still need to figure out. But, uh, you know, you've got four or five core economic issues, the revenue sharing, the time to arbitration, the time to free agency, the draft order. Those are the things that are going to probably wait to the last minute. And you know, they're ultimately the things where most of the money is wrapped up. Yeah. yeah, there was a story that broke right before the lockout about how um, the MLB had been 
messing, sending different baseballs to different matchups. Yeah. And I haven't heard much else about that, but why is that not a bigger deal? And does that impact how the players feel about the, you know, MLB and the owners going into these negotiations? Cause there's gotta be that trust is, can't be very strong there. Yeah. I, I, I think the story showed that, and, and, you know, we have a body of, um, stories over time where there's definitely player distrust over the baseball. Um, I do. I don't think that story is going away. It, it, it hasn't to this point seemed to have registered prominently in the labor issues. It doesn't seem like the MLBPA considers it, um, you know, to be, to be a core issue that they need to tackle ahead of the other stuff that they already were going after. But that doesn't mean it's not something that won't come up in bargaining it doesn't mean that it's not something that even if it's not addressed in bargaining won't be followed up on i i would expect uh it's we're going to keep hearing about it and and looking into it you know i i i tried to ask from a labor perspective to different people how does it figure in and, and basically what i'm saying is the message i got is uh, at this point it's just not top of the list but you know if, if you want to sit there and go well it should be you know the the, the construction of the baseball effects uh, so much of what you, you right, know, such a it, fundamental it, part of the game. It just seems it's crazy literally the ball. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I was trying to uh, describe it to a, to a non-baseball fan. I was like, basically MLB is cheating against their own, <laughs> their own players in a way, because you send a dead ball, uh, a dead end ball to the, the, the crappier matchup. Um, and it affects those players stats. And then on the other side, if you send a juicy one to, you know, Red Sox, Yankees, those pitchers are going to be affected by the balls flying out of the yard. So you're, right. you're affecting their livelihood. And to me, that's, that was, that's a yeah, big deal. It seems deal like it ought to be a scandal and it's been quieter right. than I thought it would be. Right. Cause to me, MLB is basically cheating against itself. Yeah. I, I look, I don't disagree with, with what you're saying there. Um, I myself haven't dug into the numbers and I'm probably not smart enough to do it. it, it you know, <laughs> it, I think to some degree that the reporting that um, Bradford and Meredith did there is, you know, it was, was strong and unique and took a lot of time. It's not the easiest type of thing to follow up on newly without yourself putting a good amount of time and effort into it. I, I think there's probably an element of that um, where, you know, like, yeah, you can aggregate their story, you know, and say this is going on. Um, but as far as moving it forward, that's an intensive bit of reporting they did there and uh, an intensive amount of analysis. Yeah, it was excellently involved. done. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's from a practical standpoint, you know, you, 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 it, it, you say to another reporter, go do this. Well, good luck. <laughs> you know, That's a it's, big it's job not, to take on. Yeah. So I, I look, I, I, I do think, I think you're going to hear more on it. It's not going to disappear. Um, but as far as how you move it forward uh, from a reporting standpoint, I think you're right. Nobody's really done that at this point. Yeah, definitely something to follow. Uh, let's shift gears here a little bit and talk um, minor leagues. I know you had mentioned earlier, Evan, that in your last episode of the podcast, you guys had talked to 
um, someone from the advocates for minor leaguers. And um, I listened to the beginning of that. I'm going to finish that later because it sounded great. And I am very interested and have been for a long time on how these issues with the minor leagues um, kind of get ignored at the major league level. And obviously they're not bargaining for them in this in this lockout, but um, there's a lot going on. The most recent thing that kind of broke as a large story was about the housing for minor leaguers and that the teams are going to provide that. Could you, for our listeners who don't follow the issue closely, kind of give a quick recap on that issue and what that recent housing decision means? Yeah, you had a lot of players finally speak out about how much they're paid and, and what kind of the living conditions are in the minor leagues. You know, for years it was just kind of accepted that, well, you got to suffer and, and, and suffer in sometimes pretty wild ways to become a major league baseball player. You know, it's kind of the rite of passage. This type of stuff you see in, in other industries too, you know, you do the unpaid internship forever and you, you know, you, you suck it up and, you, and all this, but you, you had players making very little money uh, and teams weren't providing housing. And so it was, it was, for many players, chaos. You'd, you'd be uh, Harry Marino, who's the executive director of, of this organization, Advocates for Minor Leaguers. He at one point remembered seeing four or five of his teammates sleeping on the floor in an apartment. You know, and it's like even from a practical standpoint, these are people you're trying to groom into professional athletes. Like you need to make sure they're they're sleeping properly, but also they're also human beings. You need to make sure they're sleeping properly and can afford a, a good place to live. And food. So, yeah, right. It's, it's, there's so there's myriad issues connected to it, but it, the owners seeing how loud the players were getting and seeing the media coverage, I, I decided to react and said, "Okay, we're going to pay for housing." And you know, I, I asked Marino, the, the director at Advocates, whether that was MLB essentially being scared and and trying to kind of offer a carrot to quell the clamor. And, you know, and kind of make people stop, you know, uh, and, and he agreed. He thinks that is what's going on here. So they're not done trying to get more improvements, uh, particularly in pay. You know, they are paid uh, only in season. And I believe in their contracts, the standard minor league player contract, it says that they're expected to be training year round. So it all, it all stems back to the amount of money they're paid and it's, it's very low in the minor leagues. And you know, there's a lawsuit ongoing, a class action lawsuit. Uh, that's, I think about to enter its eighth year. And, you know, we might have some resolution in the next year over minor league player pay. Uh, so, so those who are fighting for change on behalf of the players see the housing as a victory, but really just a first step toward um, more change. And those um, legal issues stem a lot from the antitrust exemption that MLB has. Yeah. So I think most people know baseball back in the 1920s was given this antitrust exemption. Um, it, it really affects, it doesn't affect major league players as much. And this is, this is where it gets complicated legally. And I have some understanding of it. Um, the reason it doesn't affect major league players as much is because when you have a union as the major league players do, uh, you, you don't file litigation under antitrust. You do it under labor law. Now, if you were to dissolve your union, then you could go after antitrust litigation and that's happened in the other sports and, and uh, at least two of them. I, I don't think it's ever happened in baseball, 
Um, but the practical impact then of the antitrust exemption where MLB can kind of commit these antitrust violations or what would be antitrust violations in other industries is away from the major league players. It's in the minor leagues with owners, you know, the contraction of the teams, there's a lawsuit that was just filed challenging the antitrust exemption because MLB decided it was just going to chop 40 teams from its minor league umbrella and also in minor league player pay because kind of the core of it is you have these 30 businesses working together to say, this is what minor league players are going to be paid. And so if, if it wasn't baseball, if this was another industry, I don't know, the tech world, that, that would be very that type quickly, of collusion would be completely illegal. Yeah, it, it would be challenged very quickly. And I assume would be found to be illegal. Um, that's the premise of it. Now, the caveat is if the minor league players ever did have a union of their own, then the same thing would apply that applies to the major league players where you're not working under the antitrust law. You're now you've got a collective bargaining agreement and you're under labor law. Uh, but so absent a, a minor league union, the antitrust exemption certainly uh, would seem to restrict their, their pay. It, it's the owner, the minor league owners, the major league owners can decide to do what they want uh, with those minor league players. Yeah, it's definitely a, uh, another meaty issue, completely separate from the lockout one. So it's uh, something if you're interested in, um, I saw that you retweeted an article you'd written on that from April. And uh, if you have a subscription to The Athletic, you can go read it there. But um, it's a very interesting issue. It will be um, it will be quite a thing to watch as it unfolds to see if that antitrust is finally that exemption is finally removed from baseball. And if it is what that actually winds up meaning for those minor leaguers. Well, thank you so much, Evan. We really appreciate you giving up some of your time and chatting with us. Um, this is complicated stuff. And I know our listeners are interested in that. We get a lot of questions on, on Twitter and interactions with people kind of asking for what's the latest with the lockout. So I'm hearing from you who has some, uh, a pulse on what's going on. We, we really appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a good Christmas if you're celebrating and thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. Yep. You have a wonderful Christmas as well. And hopefully we Thank can you chat so with you much. again soon when there's more to talk about maybe in January or February. Yep. You guys got it. All right. Thank take you. care. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. the early light of dawn well you can see they're running scared cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air tell the library of congress that they might not want to look cause we're putting curly w's in every book let's go Nats. we've got a game to play we're gonna win today let's Sure.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.